0: You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay smith hope you're well. The interview subject I've got coming up for you is from Denmark. He's a drummer in a group called Vansind. It's Danny Jelsgard. Now, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly there, Danny. The reason for the conversation, the catalyst, is to talk up an EP. I do call it an album throughout the conversation with Danny, but it is an EP. It's a three-track EP. MXIII, meaning 1013. And there's a whole mythology around why the band have called it that. I don't know whether we actually dived into that aspect of it on the conversation, but it's all got to do with Vikings and cool shit like that. So here he is, Danny from the group Vansind. Thank
1: you. Morning, sir. Good good evening for me and you. My first.
0: <laughs> what were you saying, sir? I was just saying it's uh, it's it's eight ten past eight for me and uh, eleven o'clock for you. So yeah, it's the wonders of communication that we can use these applications to talk in many different yeah. time zones.
1: So there we go. What a nice space you have in the back. Is that your man cave?
0: Yes, it is. Funnily enough, it is. Yeah, that's where. So I'm a writer. So I do a lot of my my editing sitting in that chair um my daughter's drum kit is just behind me oh she's a drummer yeah she well i'm trying to get her to be a drummer but if you've um i've I've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast they're not interested in anything that i i get into it turns out like music (laughs) or this type of music (laughs) at the very least anyway but i'm a bassist and a guitarist but primarily a bassist so i'm trying to get her to play drums so as i've got somebody here to play along with
1: yeah you have a cover band
0: I do. I do. Yeah. Velvet Kiss. I play a lot of pop stuff, I should say, but that's, it's probably the same in Denmark. The reason mm-hmm. I play covers is because I like playing and I like playing in front yeah. of an audience. And if you play metal in Australia, nobody cares.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: True. True. Bit different in Denmark, though, I assume. Uh, it's,
1: uh, it's, it's kind of funny in Denmark because, if you want to make a lot of money, you play cover music. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can actually have a very, very big career just being, not just a cover band, but a tribute band. Yes, same here. Uh, You know, just focusing on one artist like ACDC or Queen or stuff like that and and actually make a ton of money. At the moment, of course, you can't make any money, um, but uh, you can have a really decent career. So yeah, a lot of people get... Uh, I I used to play a lot of cover music too um, but mainly Danish pop artists not like ACDC or Metallica or something like that it was mainly just popular music from Denmark because that's if you want to make money you have to play what's popular and what is Mm -hmm. easy for people to sing along to and dance to and that's basically Danish uh, popular music but of course we also have a like a ton of ACDC cover bands too um, because ACDC is an amazing band and it's easy to you know have fun to and listen to and sing along to so we mm. do have a lot of cover bands but the original music is starting to get a little bit of revival which is nice um, but I yeah I've never been to Australia so I don't even know that much about the uh, music scene besides you know a couple of artists from, from over there but I mean you got like the biggest band in the world acdc so yeah we have got acdc there's
0: quite a few metalcore bands coming through or not even coming through these days they're they're huge like parkway drive they're from just yeah, down they're the road actually too. yeah they're from just down really? the road yeah probably about 150k when i say just down the road in, in in the australian parlance that's about 150 ks away that's a short trip for us. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in Europe, it's probably a long way, but uh, it certainly isn't for, for in New Zealand. If you say 150 kilometers or Britain, although mm-hmm. uh, there's a, there's a lot of dance music, which I know there's a lot of dance music and DJs that come out of Denmark and Scandinavia too. A, yeah, well, there's a lot <laughs> of that stuff. Although I just love playing, mate as you know, you're a musician, you get it, you've played an Artillery, you've got this great band here, Van Sint, now you've played covers, it's just about playing, it's, as Eddie Van yeah. Halen said, it's all about the music, no matter what music it is, it's just about the music.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's the funny thing about, uh, in my opinion, about, you know, looking at cover artists is that a lot of people, I, I don't know how it is, but sometimes people look a lot down and like, oh, you play cover music, but The way I look at it is everybody starts by playing cover music. You get your chops as a drummer, a bassist, or a guitar player from playing cover music, um, pretending to be somebody. Of course, you can, you maybe go like in a certain way and start developing your own technique, but basically we all start as as cover musicians. So I can never look down on it because it's, it's, yeah, I I used to play it a lot and, and actually make a, a lot of money doing it and uh it's it's I, I would still do it actually now if if we didn't have the lockdown i was actually thinking about doing it again uh maybe more a tribute band for something specific than just being a cover band uh, i don't know if if um <clears throat> uh, when we can actually open up to play shows i don't even know how it is in australia can you actually even play music over there at the moment it's very limited It's And
0: it shouldn't be because we, frankly, don't have COVID in Australia. If we get a case, the problem at the moment is if there's one person who gets COVID, the whole city locks down for a week and people are therefore scared to invest in putting on gigs and venues are scared to book bands. And I I don't know that 100% that's the case. That's my suspicion, though, that's going on at the moment. I don't think Denmark and Australia are are too different that way. It's just that because you're part of Europe and and Scandinavia, you've got all of those different people that can cross all of those borders and stuff, so you can't secure your borders as well. Whereas to get into Australia, you either have to swim here or fly here or maybe catch a boat too. So we've got – our borders are a lot more secure. But in terms of people not being able to – Perform and people gather. It's a load of shit. If you listen to the Greg Moffat yeah. interview, that last half an hour, all of my views on I, on COVID are expressed pretty clearly there. I have never said that COVID isn't real. I believe it is real because it is real. But it's the reaction to it. Never waste a good crisis. The way the governments have gone about locking down citizens, I think, is revolting because we we yeah. Europe, Australia, North America. We are the free people of the world, and for Uh us to have been so subservient, like what happened in Melbourne and what those poor people are going through in Los Angeles at the moment, Uh it's just disgusting that politicians think that they can wield that much power and people react to it that way because it should have been surgical lockdowns. So where an area there was an outbreak, Uh lock that area down, not not the entire city, because economies... Some economies may never recover. We've have uh-huh. got to say, we're very lucky here in Australia. You've probably heard me. If you listen to the podcast, you hear me say that a lot. If you're an Australian, you have no problems. We live uh-huh. in a part of the world where it's very easy. And I'm not saying it's people don't have problems, but I'm just saying that in terms of if you had a view of the earth and all of the countries that are in it, Australia's probably got it the easiest in terms of climate, livability access to food, water, shelter, people are pretty easygoing. It's not a hard life here compared to other parts of the world. And you've probably heard me talk about my, my wife's mother is from the Philippines and her father was from Croatia. Mm. So we get an insight into what Eastern Europe used to be like when the Iron Curtain fell and my father-in-law was was beaten senseless and had to escape, otherwise he would have been killed in Croatia. So we've got this first-hand knowledge. It's not hearsay for us. It's not hearsay for us. We know what goes on in other countries because we've been there, we've visited, and we know it firsthand. we don't stay in hotels. We stay with family, like especially, particularly in the Philippines when we go there. So it's a very long-winded way of giving you an answer on the COVID situation. But I I just hope that we get out of this sooner rather than later because music, especially music, and that's what I'm concerned about because that's my great passion in life music Mm. and exactly you get it man i can tell you understand it music is about live performance not listening on these things not listening on iPhones. Mm. it's about playing and drumming and singing and guitars
1: Mm. it really is it really is it's it's really not that hard in denmark in some um some way but due to it being the first the at least lockdown i know of where basically everything is is actually yesterday we had the first um, store lockup in two two and a half months I think mm. uh, so we have some stalls it's a really weird system where if it's if it's not too big it can open but if it's too big or if it's in a mall it can't open so we're starting to get a little bit um, but we have some shows uh, actually we, we have um, shows that. that yeah. Yeah, that's probably gonna be canceled. Mm. They're not officially cancelled at the moment, but um so many festivals in both Denmark uh, yeah, overseas download are just read cancelled, and uh, um other tours they're supposed to go through from small and big bands all just getting cancelled. So but but apparently the whole thing is that we're supposed to be able to start, you know, um Doing stuff at least from uh, they're saying June, July, um, but but I, I really don't know. I, I think mean, lying. I really misplaced.
0: Yeah. I think they're lying. Yeah, this from- is the problem because <laughs> remember when we first went, remember when we first went into this, all 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 Western countries were the same: Europe, North America, Australia, Canada, New Zealand. Yeah, it was initially spoken about being a two-week hard lockdown or a three-week hard lockdown. It might have been. And that was it. Mm -hmm. We'll get over it then. It's a means of control at the moment. I firmly believe that it's Mm -hmm. whatever. However, the it it is it is greatly benefiting left wing political parties. The lockdown is because they're preying upon people's fears. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And they're saying it's they're making it a binary equation. It is you either support lockdowns or you support people dying. And it's not that Mm -hmm. simple. It is not that simple. Yeah, we just we just have to suffer through it as the populace and. It's exposing a lot of psychopathic tendencies from our great rulers. It's the same in Australia, politicians here in Victoria, as it would be in Denmark, no doubt, as it is yeah. in in Britain and especially in the United States. And the the problem is, is that we've we've all Western civilization and democracy is the flag bearer of peace and of prosperity. Every country in the world aspires, in some way, shape, or form, to have a greater or lesser to, to, to a greater or lesser extent Western style values. You see that all through Asia. You see that the way that the Chinese have adopted capitalism with gusto but we're just seeing this great, it's it just it feels like, and I'm not saying it is like this it just feels like at the moment that using music as the barometer these people don't give a shit. They don't care that people like you and I, it's part of yeah. our spirit, part of our soul. We have to play music and if we don't, we're not who we are and there's so much collateral damage with these lockdowns, and I just uh, I, I could, you can only hope, mate, because we've got nothing else that we, we all come out of this and those big tours and your Guards Fest that you were going to be playing in a few days' time or in a week's time, two weeks' time goes ahead. But I'm with you, mate. I, I don't I, I don't know anything about what's happening in your part of the world. I know a tiny bit, but I couldn't talk to any great detail. But I'd say I'd I'd, I'd wager the rest of my alcohol-free Heineken here. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that that the festival won't go ahead, and I, and that's that's a sad thing, man. Yeah,
1: um, the um, what do you call it? Uh, the um, promoter of the biggest uh, metal festival in in Denmark is called uh, Hell. and nice, they just came yeah. out with a, state, uh, a statement saying that uh, that the tickets are still valid, and they haven't said. It's happening, and they haven't said it hasn't happened, it, it isn't going to happen. So, as far as we know, um, I mean, I, I'm not betting on it because, you know, they, all the festivals, all the other bands who's going to tour to Copenhagen play, um, is is prob is cancelled. So many other bands, maybe if they're doing a festival run, all have to cancel. So maybe they can do it in some uh, smaller way, where it's just maybe Danish acts. I don't know Um, but I mean it is it is life for me I mean I've never had this many shows canceled in a year with I usually do a a lot of stand-in gigs for for bands and um, I had I I can't remember how many shows but it's it's at least 30 shows that that I had to play that got canceled Mm. so it's been a it's been a uh, not this year of course but last year which has been, yeah, shitty. And and in Denmark, the whole thing is that people are really um, there. Are a lot. Of, I mean, people are asking a lot of questions um, about the whole thing about this lockdown, um, because the what do you call like the the whole COVID law. You know how how you have to behave in in a in an open area is getting tighter and tighter with things that you have to do which is um, we don't have to wear a mask in a in an open room uh, uh, sorry in the in an in open area but we have to wear a mask if you go to stores or uh, mm. we have we can only be five people together uh, unless you're a family of six people but but you're only allowed to to be five people if it's five strangers in, in a room or five friends so we can't do any shows like that but Probably as it is in, in Australia, we, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of live streams. But in, I mean, the whole point is basically that we just opened a little bit up yesterday, uh, mm. but it's definitely not enough to start doing any kind of cultural musical thing. You're a career musician then.
0: Uh, not at the that's, moment, no. But, but <laughs> prior to COVID, that's how you were earning money and, and paying your bills is by playing music.
1: Uh, not, not at the. I actually stopped. Uh, believe it or not, I used. I, um, I'm educated as a church servant. If uh-huh. you know what that is. Well, I'm, so I work, I'm
0: Catholic, so you yeah, I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, are you, are you Catholic okay. as well, or is it Lutheran or?
1: No, no, I'm. I'm. A, I'm it's just. I'm actually not a believer in in, in anything. It's just. Uh, it was just a job. Um. So uh-huh. so I. But it's yeah, I work in a normal. Christian church um just getting ready for all the ceremonies and you know getting ready for weddings and funerals and uh, confirmation mm. stuff like that it's it was an amazing job I, I used to be a, a full-time musician but um uh, there's a lot of you know weekends spent but you know it. you know you play basically Thursday Friday Saturday yeah so I remember
0: uh, <laughs> <Ways> <laughs> yeah, you yeah, out, yeah but yeah, you still yeah. do it what, sorry? It wears you out, but you still do it. You get tired doing it. Yes. My oh God, I used to get so tired when I did three nights a week.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's uh, more tough than some people actually think. Um, a lot of people like, so you have three days of work and then you have the week off. And it's like, yeah, but you use basically two days to get over going to bed in six in the morning and then you have to put up your drum kit and start practicing again and before you know it it's first day of friday again and then you have to start playing again so it's 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 really hard um, not maybe uh, physically in the same way as working in a factory but it's very mentally a hard thing to be a professional musician who is um playing you know just the bar circuit or smaller clubs <clears throat>
0: Um, i had no energy on sundays i can tell you that that's that was what stopped it was because i got to sunday and i'd try to get out of bed and i couldn't do it and i'm in my 40s now that was the last time i played that often which i was in my 30s but late 30s yeah. but i was working full-time as well and i was traveling for work and i had got i've got two young daughters it was too yeah. much it was way too much and and i love playing but i don't like feeling exhausted and as though I've got no energy for anything. And it just sort of built up after a couple of years to a point where I, I knew that I had to step out. Now, I, before COVID, I was lucky if I played once a month. It was probably yeah. month, once or twice a month that I'd play, and that was perfect because I could yeah. keep up my chops in front of people and we were playing pretty decent venues. In Australia, we've got these things called RSL clubs or leagues clubs. Where, so you'll play in front of, it doesn't sound like much, but 30 people. Forty people, maybe. It's not bad, and we you get paid a couple hundred dollars to play. But I don't really do it for the money. I don't care. God, as if you do, as if you play the sort of I mean, with all all with how much the gear costs for a start, amplifiers, PA's, and all the rest of it. You'd have to be doing that for about thirty years before you made a return on your investment. It's just a hobby, but it's a hobby that it's a hobby that I wish paid a lot more. But I'm just being realistic about it on a on a commercial front. No, but uh, hey, let's talk about this, this album of yours, this album yes. that, that we've connected over. Okay, yeah, I, en- I enjoy it, I like it a lot, I must say. And uh, thank you to Soren, you got Soren to send it over, so thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Sorry, him, sorry, my god, sorry, Soren, you can tell that I'm yeah. Anglo Celtic <laughs> and Australian, but I can't tell the difference between the uh, uh, people's <laughs> names from Europe. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. Sorry, but the the look—it's a three tra- three track EP, and I like that again because yeah. I can absorb the music. I had it on in the car. I had it on last night as I was helping making dinner for the kids. It's called Ten Thirteen, but you got Roman numerals there. It's a nice touch. Now, for the listeners' benefit, Vance, and you guys. You use the methodology and the events of from the golden Viking age. Yeah. And the band's music that I'm most most familiar with, of which you remind me of, is Elviti. That's for the listener's benefit, again, that's probably the closest comparison that I can draw. Very different again, but you're in that pagan, Viking, almost Celtic influenced music. And I, I think Overall, the package is beautifully presented, the way that you've recorded it because it sounds great, very well thought out arrangements. I love Mm -hmm. the fact that you're singing in Danish and not in English because I don't need to know what the lyrics say. It's the spirit and the energy that comes through. So after I've made all of that, that made those points there, the EP is released on March 26th. Yes. You must you must feel pretty stoked with how the packages come together, particularly because you know what you're doing. You're a seasoned musician.
1: Mm. I'm very happy with uh, the product. It's uh, It's been a long journey, but we're still a new band. So, uh, But the response on at least the first single, Den Far Through the Fair, is, uh, has been amazing. Um, like I said, I'm a very big fan of your podcast. I've been listening to it um yeah all through this pandemic that's actually uh, the Wait. way I discovered it. oh sorry no it's sweet no thank you thank you for the feedback oh, and comments, oh, yeah. yeah um it's it's been a really big help and um so so doing this and just being able to talk about your music is is for me uh it's it's basically a, a dream come true to talk to somebody that you've been listening to and so for me this is uh, this is you know it's a big thing but the whole thing Where's about that? this no this this uh this album is basically we just started writing or actually the way it started was I started this band with uh, my girlfriend who is uh, the flute player in the band and pianist um and when I started the first thing I said to to her because she is more um uh, what do you call like traditional instrument player? She can play bagpipes and uh, and flute, like I said. So mm-hmm. when when we started, it had to be kind of a folky thing. And the first thing I just said was the lyrics has to be in Danish. It's not because it's a uh, it, it, what do you call it? like it's not because it has to be in Danish to be um, Viking pagan music because. Ilović has songs in English, and uh, but it just felt right, and I have it exactly like you. The, the lyrics can be as powerful, or let's just say the voice can be as powerful without you really understanding what what they're saying. Um, I, I like bands where they actually sing in English, uh, but unless I read the lyrics, I don't know what the what they're singing about. Um, mm. And there could be a death metal band or something. So, so that was the whole point of it. Uh, I just said we have we have to make it in Danish, and it's it, it can backfire big time due to people saying, "Well, they can't understand your lyrics," and uh, but like you said, you enjoy listening to it and you feel the the power of the vocals, and that's that's a very nice compliment coming from somebody who doesn't even speak Danish. In in I guess you don't know any Danish words. <laughs> zero um, <laughs> I, know, yeah, I know how to say so, denmark there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: that's it yeah. <laughs> the name of the country
1: yeah but it's yeah it's it's a big band so it takes uh, takes a little bit of time to get everything done that's why it's only a free song ep um also because um when the band started in late 2019 and we went into 20. Uh, 20 and uh, basically everything closed down, so it's been really hard to practice too. And we just needed to get it out. Um, everything is financed by ourselves. Uh, it's no record label. But when when the um, when we did a show in uh, yeah, actually our first show, Cern, he um, who is our manager now, he he saw us and he wanted to work with us. And he's been amazing, like getting the music out. And uh, we've been in the metal injection. Uh, we've been in Death Forever magazine and a lot of interviews for a lot of, you know. So I guess folk metal or pagan metal, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't really matter if you sing your own language. You can still reach
0: a lot of people. It can indeed. It's very popular in Australia. All these mm. bands, you guys that have an audience here, you might not have heard from many people yet, but there's no doubt that people will have heard the music. Elviti of Tuit and Korpiklani of to it. I'm pretty sure Korpiklani spin, sing in Finnish, which is even more obscure from that perspective, from a language perspective, than Danish. So, yeah, yeah no, you, you make a lot of great points there. And I, just to go back to a point that I made about the sound across the album, mm. As a bassist, I, I appreciate hearing the bass on a, on a folk metal album because that's typically the thing that's buried com- underneath all this other musical rubble, but I can almost hear every note. So who helped you produce it?
1: Um, we, um, first of all, the bassist is going to be very happy that you said that because it was <laughs> actually a very, uh, mm-hmm. what do you call it, like... Uh, it was a, it was a decision made that we wanted the bass player to be um a very almost Im- uh, lead guitarist instrument in certain points of the song uh, really have a great bass player and uh, i played with him when uh, i did i used to play shows for um, this uh, opera uh, opera singer and uh, we used to play uh, she had this concept of heavy musicians playing with uh, a symphonic orchestra. Mm -hmm. And he was the bass player and he can read notes. He can, he's very musical. So when I started the band, he was the first person I basically thought of. And when he came to the band and we started writing, it was clear that we had to push the bass playing. Kind of like, you know, Maiden would do it with uh, a song like uh, The Clansman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, um, the Clairvoyant, um, where the bass basically starts that song, nice. and it's as as memorable as as the um, as as any guitar riff. So that was the whole concept. But when we had to uh, do the album, we first did one s- uh, single called uh, "Valpo net and uh, we basically did recordings by ourselves and send it up to uh, the old bass player for Marduk. If you know Marduk, uh, yeah, Swedish uh, black metal. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah. Fantastic band. Um, are you, I used to play in a black metal band and uh, I did two albums with Devo, the old bass player, uh, which, um, so we just had a really great working relationship. But when we did this free song EP, um We wanted to do um, it more in Denmark due to the pandemic, but also because uh, we wanted to be more involved and it's really hard to just go to Sweden. Mm. So we used um, for the drums, I was up doing an album for another band and uh, I just did the drums after I was done with that album. uh, I did the drums at 2Massen, if you know him. Uh, Which band is he in? No, he's, he's a producer. He's produced uh, a lot of big bands from uh, Baby Metal, uh, oh, The Haunted. I, I, yeah, I think I'm,
0: I'm familiar. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm just so used to people being in extreme metal like Pete Tugtrend, where they're also a musician yeah. and they also do the production side of things, or uh, uh, Dan Swanö, who's fantastic. By the way, I'd love to have him on the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, but but yeah, he's he's mainly a, a kind of a big famous producer. Works a lot with. Uh, yeah, big metal artist. Mm-hmm. So we did the drums at his place, but um, I was doing the drums alone. And uh, while I was uh, recording the other album, we had to start. I mean, I was ending the session and I had to start the next session. So he was. we were talking and uh, he said, do you mind if I go pick up my uh, uh, student? I have like, uh, I don't know what you call like he, He's working for free in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just basically watching to work. And I was like, sure. And he was like, do you mind if he comes, hangs out, see how I set up the drum mics and, uh, you know, talk? I was like, sure. So he came and we, we started talking. And uh, uh, just to finish up, the other things is basically just recorded, you know, the same way we did for Velbo's night. But the way it got the sound it did was because that, uh, his student came who was called Christian. Mm-hmm. Super nice guy, very young started doing all this production and uh, we were just talking with him and um, me and him became great friends. And so I was like, do you want, you know, do you want to mix this? Because two, we were were thinking about using him, but he's also very expensive because he's such a a great producer. I mean, he is amazing. You know, he also worked with um, Cataclysm and yeah. I actually think he did. uh, Yeah, yeah, he did. He did so many big names. I can't even name them all. But um, anyway, I was just asking Christian, it's like, do you want to mix it? And he was like, sure. And he was like, I can do it for free. I'm like, no, no, no. We want to pay. And we didn't, I didn't even know if he was good or anything. It was just, you know, let's hear if you can do it. And he just basically is like beyond what I could expect. And, um, Actually, I've heard he's got a little bit of work from from this EP that people really enjoy the sound. Actually, a lot of people thought it was Two Masson who mixed it. So, um, mm. if you have a band and you need a great mix, I mean, Christian, I can send a link to him if you need it ever. And he's he's insane. He's gonna be the next, you know, Two Masson with this sound. Yeah, definitely. It's a sound that I. I'm not intimately
0: familiar with the genre that you guys broadly play in as we've discussed pagan metal or Celtic metal or what have you. But for me to be able to, as a mute, I I tend to focus very much on the rhythm performance, on the rhythm section's performance, just naturally. Then I go from there. So it's the bass and the drums as as the platform, like a pyramid. Then it goes to the rest of the string section and the keys, if that's the case, and then the vocals go on top. And to hear the way it had been put together with these things, AirPods, which I listen to my music over, and for it to yeah. have some space, to have the kind of space that he's done, yeah, you've, you've you've articulated, I think, beautifully the way that certainly the way that he's been he's been given the opportunity, and he's just obviously an extremely capable individual yeah. without much prompting has been able to get this this sound for you guys. So he's clearly understood what you guys wanted as well. It's not just... Did you have to give him too many instructions or many, any instructions at all?
1: Um, yes and no. We didn't have to give him a lot um, because he, uh, he is a folk, pagan fan, but it's not because he's locked in on that sound uh, if he's mixing for other people. So we basically just told him that... Uh, I'd, the funny thing you're mentioning the bass, because when he sent us the, the, the the first mix, he he definitely focused a lot on the bass too. And it's because he is a bass player, but Mm. the thing I like about it is basically that, like you said, we have to, we, we try to make these spaces. So for instance, um, the bass player can do some detailed stuff and get it through. And uh, I've, Uh, I I think that's that's what we had to afterwards just tell him that you know this this is what we want to do we basically just want all the instruments to be as present as possible uh, but don't steal from each other if if that makes any sense yeah you're not doing an injustice for all (laughs) where yeah. <laughs> Jason's
0: bass is non-existent as we know or, or basically any Metallica recording. That's the thing. Fleming Rasmussen has got a great name. But when I listen yes. back to Master of Puppets, the bass is yeah. still buried on that album except for when it's played as a lead, which Cliff can do beautifully. Definitely. Definitely. That's that's the interesting thing about metal, though, isn't it? Bass tends to be the and, and percussion to a lesser extent too. I think, unfortunately, it's uh, unless you're Lars Ulrich, and I know he's one of your Danish comrades. But uh, if you've listened to the podcast a lot, you know my views on Lars's drumming. Not him as a guy. I'm not talking about Lars as a human being. He's probably a a very nice guy. Although how high his drums are mixed is ridiculous. How that escapes the engineer and the producer's ears. Has has got me bamboozled because I, I frankly cannot listen to Metallica recordings past Black
1: anymore. Um, the funny thing about Lars is, um, yeah, like you said, he's probably he seems like a really nice guy. Mm, great, yeah. great businessman. Um, I know a lot of people um, who've met him, or at least people I know have met him. Said he's 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 such a sweetheart, but he couldn't care less about drumming. It's, uh, it's just a means to, to be in the band. Um, because the way he chooses his symbols and stuff like and it's not to say that he, he wants to rip people off just saying, I don't, I don't care. But in, in a sense, he's like, um, if somebody would bring him a classic drum kit, uh, he, it wouldn't impress him in any way for him. It's, it's the bigger picture, sadly it's progressed against his drum playing um, mm. because he's, he's made some very weird choices. For instance, not having a right symbol instead of, you know, just using a big China as a right, which is in my opinion, so weird. Um, it's original. I got to give him that, but for me, just ruins a lot of their music. Um, but I mean, he's in the biggest band in the world. So he, I don't think he, gives a shit if we don't like him uh, and I have respect like you said from all the stuff he did like all the earlier stuff but yeah I, ha- I have a hard time too listening to a lot of the newest album especially um, I thought Def Magnetic sounded terrible agreed
0: uh, disgusting it's, it's, yeah,
1: yeah it was such weird recording and the new stuff too it, it haven't I've really listened to it and tried to be um, open about it and saying okay it's it's a choice they're doing, but why are they doing this choice? But I, 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 can't, I can't see the point. You know, you can make beautiful albums. You have the means and the money to make uh, the best album in the world. And you, it just seems like you, you don't care. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to talk badly about the band because I really enjoy Metallica. But uh, yeah, I, I got to say he's, it's, it's basically gone downhill, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, great. Everything you said is is similar to my yeah. thoughts too. And I've, I've long said he needs to step out of the band and become an executive producer to your exact point. They're the bigger picture guy because yeah. there's guys like Tim Young, Chris Adler, Joey Jordison. If you've seen the Joey Jordison performance from 2004 download, seen the recordings that are now available, I think they're new recordings mean, they're not new recordings obviously, but they're newly available recordings. Joey yeah. is just fantastic. And I'm not a Slipknot fan. I'll put it out there. Now I can't listen to them at all. I appreciate what they've done for heavy music, but they're never yeah. going to be there. I've I've saw them once and they didn't impress. It was a lot of yelling and shouting and banging on tin cans. Yeah. Although Joey Jordison was the superstar of that band and gave them the platform, I think that they needed. And to hear him yeah. perform the Metallica songs on the money, on the beat with double bass. Yeah. It just bought it just breathed new life into those songs for a few minutes, and you could see in those videos how happy Kirk is, the guitarist. Yeah. Of course, you yeah. can see him staring at him, going, "This is I haven't done this before because he was so much more on top of the beat than what Lars ever is. Lars is more like a stoner rock doom drummer, and he's sort of yeah. ch- ch- isn't it, and it takes so much away from the urgency and the power." In James Hetfield's vocal and guitar performance,
1: mm. yeah, actually, uh, the the thing about them is that uh, after they become really good friends, it's not—it's like they don't have to impress each other anymore. Mm. Uh, it's you know when they go on stage, it's not like oh I have to show you now. And I mean, respect to the guy, respect to the band, uh, but yeah, with Joey, uh, I've I've seen the performance. They've been circulating this drum cam video of him playing "Creeping Death." That's the one. And he, yes. yeah, he, he's destroying that song in in the most positive way. Uh, mm-hmm. And he—that's uh, when he was on top of his game as a as a musician. And I mean, the cool thing about Joey is uh, when he plays with Metallica, he doesn't seem nervous. I mean, ask any other musician if they had to play with Metallica and they only had three hours to maybe learn ten songs. Even though you maybe know them by ear, you still have to perform them with mm-hmm. your favorite band in front of a hundred thousand people. And he goes and he plays so confidently. Like I said, Kirk comes up and just smiles at him and just says, Yeah, we're we're so locked in. Yeah. Yeah. That's what even I if he plays a little bit faster.
0: Mm. I, I thought that that's that faster edge gave the songs that thrash vibe that they needed and has been missing ever since about nineteen eighty eight and and i heard it again when i've i've watched that joey jordison performance probably 10 or 12 times and here's a fun fact for you i actually interviewed joey for the podcast but i couldn't release the interview oh shit happened a few years ago nothing bad what Um, happened was he's he's famously not that uh enthusiastic about interviews but he agreed to do one with me and a few other people and I don't know what happened on the day that the interview was due, but I gave up on it. But I thought, it's Joey Jordison. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start driving home because I was down at university and I thought, I'm going to start drive- going home, driving home, but I'm going to set up my laptop next to me. So I like, it doesn't go to sleep. Turn Skype on. So when the call comes through, I'm ready to take it. Of course, 15 minutes into my journey home on a highway, it calls, it's his publicist or the conference host, with him waiting to come through. And oh. I took a turn off and I couldn't have taken a worse turn off on the highway. I couldn't pull over anywhere. So oh. God help me if any police are listening to this one here. I had to do the conduct the interview whilst I was driving and occasionally look over at the questions that I had organised because it was about his uh, other band, Sinsanum, And, of course, I interviewed Frederick Leclerc. Whose who's band it is? Two times I think about it. And that was one of my albums of two thousand and seventeen or eighteen. It was released in one of those two years. There, jo- Joey isn't. Th- he couldn't do what we're doing now. It's not his oh. bag. That's fine. There's no criticism at all. When I listened oh. back to it, apart from hearing my keys jangle and it sounded like I was completely disorganized because a I was trying to focus on driving. I what I didn't have. I wasn't in the moment as I needed to be in order to draw insightful responses out of him. And some interviews that happens and I just don't release it. And that's what happened with that one. I've still got the recording somewhere. I never delete anything, mm. not intentionally. Anyway, a few have not recorded. That means that they're they're nowhere. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a chat to him and uh, I, I mentioned, I can't remember his response now I'm talking to you, but I mentioned that Metallica performance to him. And I talked. Uh, I said to him, you do understand that fans were just so thrilled when you got up up there to do that. And, of course, he was uh, very diplomatic. He didn't want to talk any shit about Lars or even anything that could be interpreted as uh, talking shit about Lars. But he, he, I think he gets it. The uh, fans know that he's the real deal. He's been in plenty of bands. And it sounds like as though he's just happy at the moment, content leading a life behind, behind the scenes and taking those Slipknot royalties. And God knows I probably want to do the same thing myself.
1: Yeah, I still hope he returns because he's, uh, in um, In my opinion, he's in my maybe top top five most important drummers for me personally uh, and maybe for 10 million other people. Uh, he's he's done so much and, uh, yeah, we kind of miss him. But i got to say, uh, Jay Weinberg, uh, love and respect to the guy because he's doing such an amazing job for Slipknot.
0: Yeah, Uh, Yeah. he
1: he really pays respects both Joey and and the band going forward. So uh, if you like Slipknot or not, it's uh, I mean the guy still plays the Joey parts perfectly, and uh, yeah, love
0: and respect to both of them. The Lamb of God drummer now, so I'm just Art Cruz. I saw him when he was in Prong. He impressed me enormously the night that he was in Prong because Prong are one of my all-time favourite bands. I just don't talk about yeah, them too Ron. much on the podcast. But my I was into them first time around in the late 80s and early 90s. They were the, one of the first bands that I, I truly loved. But yeah. Art Cruz, he's just doing it, isn't he? I, I thought Chris was basically irreplaceable. But the way Art's playing on that most recent album, the self-titled Lamb of God album, and here's the tip, I'm not a huge Lamb of God fan. I, I'd, yeah. I, there are plenty of other. I prefer Death and Black Metal, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Cradle of
0: oh, Cradle of Filth, yeah. And uh, and Nick Barker's drumming in particular, I, I've, I've always loved that drumming. That's been the template for me with a lot of black metal drumming, I must say. Is, is that the same for you? I know I just talked about Art Cruise, but well, let's switch and yeah. talk about Nick. Is, yeah. is Nick Nick being one of your guys?
1: The way I discovered your podcast was um, because Nick Barker has, like you said about Joey, he wasn't the uh, most uh, media kind of guy. And I fell on... Uh, uh, his uh, Instagram and he was doing this poll for a right symbol. He's used with, um, I think only Divo and the old man's child and stuff like that. Mm. But anyway, so he was saying in the video, I think was, I want to be more social on media. And, you know, so I just basically, uh, when Google search this name and, uh, I think the first thing that showed up because I wrote Nick Barker or Nicholas Barker podcast. And, uh, you showed up and it was, yeah, I think it's about two hours or something. yeah. And i really enjoy long podcasts and especially about people. I don't, um, hear that much about. And Nick Barker has been one of the most influential drummers for me, uh, ever. And just hearing him talk about the whole cradle of filth thing, which is one of the biggest questions I've actually had. I've actually met him a couple of times. Um, I, I played in a death metal band and, um, we supported uh, Possessed in Copenhagen, where uh-huh. he was the session drummer for that tour. Yeah, And um, actually, <laughs> he, he kind of yelled at me um, by accident <laughs> um, because um, he didn't know there was a support act. Um, so when they were done doing the, the line check and setting up the gear and everything, we put up my drum kit and... I started playing and all of a sudden I hear this British accent coming in and saying, who the fuck is playing my drums? And, uh, you know, everything just stopped those quiet. It was about 20 people there and he mm-hmm. came out and he saw me, you know, sitting behind my own kid and he was like, Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. And, uh, wait, I, I totally get it. If somebody was playing my drums or I thought somebody was playing my drums, I'd be pissed off too. Um, what a great but story. It, but then I went, yeah. That's they're, they're they're the moments yeah. though. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually went into his uh because I had this big stack of CDs with um so I went into the backstage because I was like, oh he already yelled at me. I mean it can't get any worse than that. So I just knocked at his uh, the backstage room, went in, and he was such a sweetheart. He was uh yeah. talking a lot about the pictures in every booklet, uh telling me about You know, I was like 21 when I did uh, the album cover for this one. Or it was my idea, you know, in the Dimo Borghi album where he's standing with dogs. Um, That was my idea, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually came in and watched me play and uh, gave me a lot of credit. And we took some pictures together. It's a lot of years ago, but I always kind of regretted not asking him about the whole Cradle of Filth because he was so easy to talk to and then I heard your podcast, and you were talking about it. So it was just like, "Wow, that really happened!" And talking with all the other ex-members um, that that you've been so so that's what I haven't been listening to. Uh, I've at the moment I've been through all the Cradle of Filth. Mm. Uh, my favorite one has definitely been Nick Barker, but the one with uh, Paul, the recent one you did, was really insightful too. Um, well, Paul,
0: I think I can say this. Uh, I'm, I'm communicating with Paul at the moment. He wants to do a lot of media through me at the moment, but he does not want to talk about Cradle of Filth at all. Yeah. It's it, for him, I think, I, again, Paul, if you're listening, I apologise if you don't want me to talk about this stuff, but fans want to know, okay? And yeah. he told me things that I'm sworn to secrecy over. I can't say anything about it. I can't even of lead course. on that. I, I shouldn't even lead on that I know anything, to be honest with you. But you're, you're a fan, and I know, I know that people... I've had a lot of people reach out and I've got to say when they're like you, they're genuine, they just love the band. They love Paul, yeah. they love Nick, they love Stuart and uh, they, they have a special connection and a special bond with that band and that's uh, my only my only message to Paul has been that people love you, man. People uh, yeah. people think you're important and you're special to them. This music is, is special and important to people because a lot of us just we're a bit different from mainstream society. We don't necessarily fit into the neat box that mainstream society has set out for us in terms of working day jobs and getting into trends and fads and the like. And extreme metal is our thing. And when you've got one of the biggest bands in extreme metal, Cradle of Filth, and you've got the person that wrote most of the music in the band for about 60% or 70% of the time, which is Paul, people are naturally curious. But he's he's got different things going on and what I can tell you is he shared with me the unnamed horrors, he shared with me a few tracks. You will not be disappointed with what he's done. It is better than anything he's done with Cradle. I can I can assure you. It 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 doesn't have Danny's screech on it, and his music is all the better for it. He has he's organized a choir, a proper choir, like a cathedral style choir around it. And one of the songs I can't wait for people to hear because he's just got the most gnarly, side like guitar tone on it. It's just this yeah. crunchy Hoffman Brothers guitar tone mixed in with his old one. It's just vicious. With all of the quiet thing going on, man, when he releases it, he, he has, as you probably heard through the conversation with Paul, his expectations are zero. He just wants the music to be out there and whoever finds it. I hope it does a lot more than that. I hope it creates a new audience for him. He already has a built-in audience, as you know, with all of the Cradle fans that are out there. I I would also love to see, just switching and talking about Nick, when Nick Uh. spoke about him, Stuart, and Les getting together again. Now, that would be special.
1: I really hope that happens, and especially now when when they have the time basically to, to actually do it, uh, they, in my opinion, they, sh- they should just do it because like you said, it would be amazing. And, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy medium for what it is. It's definitely not an album I listen a lot to, but I really enjoy it when I listen to it, but it's definitely not, uh, on the levels that, uh, those three guys were doing, um, not to say anything bad about the whole cradle of filth catalog. Uh, but, there's a reason why they got so famous that they did it. was because of that whole new wave of British heavy metal Correct. meeting. Um, maybe one of the best drummers at the time with, like Danny or not, a vocal that at least I haven't heard. Uh, when I talked to older metalheads saying that the f- if you didn't matter if you liked Cradle of Filth, you paid attention when the guy was screaming. Um, it was it was so extreme at that time, and the whole organ sound it was it was so amazing, and I miss it, and, and I would like to hear the the last album that should have been but never been um, come to life. So, crossing fingers, man, you have, I know you're thinking about writing a book about them and uh, kind of getting happen. them together and talk yeah. about it. So, so I'm hoping it would inspire them to say, let's do it. Well, that's what
0: I I can only i'm just me so i have my ideas and i can share them with you and everybody listening what i hope happens is that i am determined to write that book by the way as far as i'm concerned that's going to happen because i am a writer these days i'm actually today that's all i've spent today doing i'm at queensland writers center i'm forging a career as a writer simple as that i was going to approach nick and say let's just make it your biography but I think it's uh, now I've come back around the other way and I'm thinking, no, let's include the three guys and let's talk about that album. Just focus on Cruelty and the Beast. A bit of Dusk, of course, will come into it because of, because of Nick's uh, involvement in that album and, of course, Stuart. But Stuart uh. is the driving force behind Cruelty and the majesty of that album. And that album that you were talking about that we never got to hear, that apparently, and as you've listened to the, to the episodes with the guys, is almost written, so it's there. It's in the. It's not in the can, but it's demoed. The Clive Barker yeah. concept album. I when when Stewart told me that that in, that interview was four years ago, if you can believe it, bit bit over four years ago now. With Stuart. Uh-huh. when Stewart told me that the follow up was a Clive Barker concept album to Cruelty and the Beast, I couldn't believe that we as fans, you and I, people that have bonded with the band and that album. Missed out on that because I love Clive Barker. I'm the sort of person that wants Hellraiser to win. (laughs) I love that stuff. It's well, I I still, to me, I don't get scared by it, I get nostalgic about it. It's great art. Uh, Doug Bradley's a great, great uh, actor, and that whole uh, universe is very important again to people like me it, it's it's our childhoods our teenage years like cradle it's it's not scary to us it's just something that we find fascinating and 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 are drawn to so for for stewart nick and les to have been working on that and for that album to have been demoed and potentially be the songs to be ready to come out soon when i write my book I'd love for that album to come out at the same time. They're just going to have to find a vocalist, but that, that shouldn't be too hard. God knows there are enough people out there that can imitate Danny now.
1: Yeah. Um, like the band I actually sent you called Ilnet, Um or Ilnaf, the way you present it. Yeah, that was you. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, more melodic than than Cradle of Ilf, um, but his vocals is definitely inspired by Danny. So... He he would definitely do it, but I don't know if they would go um, and try and do it maybe another way and maybe change it so there wouldn't be a lot of uh, problems from that camp, The Cradle of Filth Camp. I don't know if they still have that, you know, thing against each other, but um, yeah, I I would love to hear that album. That would, that would be a total, you know, please do it in 21. <laughs> that would really set up after all this pandemic stuff and just hearing... Mm. Uh, unreleased material from from those guys. Yeah,
0: I don't know. To your point there about there being any beef between the guys, I don't think there's any beef. But I, it's all out there for people to hear. But Nick doesn't like Danny. Stuart doesn't think much yeah. of Danny either. And so, so for for them, I, I don't think they'll ever. There should be. There shouldn't be any doubt that they'll never ever be on a stage together again. Danny and those other guys. I don't believe for a moment it will ever happen. There isn't. The money in Extreme Metal to do an Eagle style reunion or a Motley crew yeah. style reunion. There just isn't the money around and available for that. My thoughts always have been since Danny did the Dusk, the uh, remistress, what was it? No, it was uh, the original Sin of Dusk. So the Paula yeah. Linda version and the remistressing, so the remastering, it's called remistressing, it's just the marketing term, but the uh, remixing and the remastering of a cradle with the latter, with, with, cru- with cruelty, not cradle, with cruelty, what he, what he could have done, and in a lot of ways, what he should have done is invited everybody back for interviews to contribute liner notes, old photos, old demo recordings, and potentially even a one-off performance I would have travelled for that and then yeah. put the tickets online and maybe them go to the higher bidder. There would be astronomical uh, interest in that. I think, Danny, at the moment, my opinion, of course, of course it is because I'm expressing it, it's just a business at the moment with a little bit of art thrown in. That's it because of the amount of band members that they've they've gone through and I made this point on the Greg podcast, 26 members, tenured members that have appeared in album booklets, 40 40 overall in a band that's yeah. had a career spanning uh not yet 30 years. So you can do the maths on that. Yeah. That's that's an incredible statistic. I, I don't know. There might be. I don't know of any band that's been in the spotlight, and that's the key key term, in the spotlight. Covers bands and all these other smaller bands have plenty of people go in and out because there's no the stakes are very low. But in a band like that where the stakes are high and where Danny doesn't write music, I, I can't understand what the issues have been, oh, okay, I have some insight into what the issues have been inside the band, but it just uh, seems like, and I don't mean this in a bad way or an unkind way, Danny is a Napoleon character, he sits at the very top, people come in, they go, they just go, and Danny's always the guy at the top, like the little general conducting things, but in terms of the, the people, the doers, the soldiers, the people that are on the front line, the musicians, they just uh, keep
1: cycling through. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, i do got to say that the new drummer they have, Martin, is incredible. And I think he's been in the band since 2006. And he's definitely been, uh, I think he's been doing an amazing job. He's really good at uh, replicating Nick Barker's parts and uh, Adrian's. uh, But like you said, I would love to hear just one track with those guys. Or maybe just even an interview with them being in a room together, just talking about the album or something.
0: Um, That's what I'm going to try to do. Just, just so yeah, I put these things out there because I've got nothing to lose. Either like <laughs> I've got, I, I felt I've got a good connection with Stuart and with Nick. We, in other words, for the for the two and a half hours I spoke to Nick and the four hours I spoke to Stuart, I got along with them. I, eventually, I will hit them up and I'll try to get them all on a, on a Zoom call. It'll. It's very. What one thing I will say is having more than two people is in. interviewer or it's not we're not really interviewing i know the two people involved in the conversation it can get very messy and and points don't get finished and from the listener's perspective it can be very messy so Uh. i'm not sure how i'd go about doing that that's that's one way of doing it it's probably the most direct way of doing it what I get concerned about though is people's times are, is precious. And it might be the only opportunity that I get to actually get everybody on board. It it might be better off where we have a, a, a some key talking points and we stick to those talking points in the beginning. Uh-huh. And then we just open up the floor. Les offers his bit because he's the one he's the main figure that I'm yet to interview. He's the one yeah. person from from the critical lineup that is left. I get there's Adriana Lanson and there's a few others like Sarah. I've messaged yeah. it, Sarah. She hasn't gotten back to me, though. I, I, I guess, I don't know. Well, I'm trying. That's all I can say. I'm trying to get these guys on board. Can't find Robin anywhere. I've always I've put it out there to the ether. If anybody knows where Robin is, Robin Eagleston, a.k.a. Robin Graves, please let me know if Robin's listening. I'd love to talk to you. There's absolutely no pressure. I'm a fan. Uh-huh. I'm just coming at it from a fan's perspective, but I've got the experience as an interviewer. You know, It's not going to just be a total fan-out session, in other words. Which I hope has come across with the other interviews, but yeah, okay. man, it's the the opportunities there to share with people like you and I people's innermost thoughts and feelings if they want to do that, and that's all I can offer. Definitely,
1: and uh, I'm that's probably why I've started listening so much to the podcast is, uh, is because it's. Uh, I have to think of the right word, but it's you ask the right questions without being rude. Uh-huh. Thanks
0: for the you feedback. You know what I
1: mean? Okay. Yeah. And, and maybe don't, because um, it's it's a classic um, thing when, when you talk to somebody and you get starstruck, you have all these questions, but at least the times I've met people, like when I met Mr. Barker, I really wanted to ask him, I don't know, a million questions, and some of them were burning, but I just didn't have the, I don't want to say guts, but I, I just didn't want to bother him. Like, am, am I stepping on something that's maybe too personal, even though it's just me and him sitting, you know, talking about drums like we did and uh, settings, and, and he was getting a little bit in on the cradle of filth, and I really wanted to ask him, like, uh, did you know is there any animosity between you? Uh, would you ever get back in the band if you got the right offer? Um, would you even tour manage them? You know, I had so many questions and uh, I just didn't dare, so I, that was why I was really happy when I listened to it, that. Uh, you kind of asked them some very personal questions, but it didn't seem rude or like you were scared to ask them, yeah. Which I personally myself would be because That's I got yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I. I, I I genuinely appreciate that you've mentioned that because one of the things that I've always tried to—I tried—it's—it's it's, you can't do it straight away. Like one of my first interviews with is David Vincent. Now, if I feel strongly about Cradle of Filth, it's another thing entirely about Morbid Angel. They're my all-time favourite band. I, Great I band. love I love Morbid Angel so much. I've even interviewed Trey's mum. So, okay. If you go and have a listen to that episode and you'll hear some questions on that that I ask about Trey because Trey doesn't do interviews at the moment or he's extremely selective about the interviews.
1: I'm listening uh, back to all the interviews you have. I have this uh, podcast app and um, I'm saving episodes that I want to listen to and I think I have about with you and uh, some other podcasts I'm listening to, I think I have about 200 episodes that are just waiting waiting to be listened to. So uh, I'm going to go back and see if I can find the one because I only got, I think, uh, maybe back to the Stuart one and I haven't gone back from that. Oh, I listened to the Danny Field one, uh, which was pretty good too.
0: That was an earlier one, I've got to say. I Yeah. I, I was on the fence about whether or not I even wanted to interview him, but I did make I did make some points about Stuart and that that nobody has ever made. I know that because I must have listened to it Tens of podcasts with him. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you in so far as I can't understand why, if you're an interviewer and if you're doing what I'm doing, why you wouldn't ask the tough questions if you've been given the opportunity to do it. And I, I, to me, like you've got to park the fan aspect of you and you have to put your journalist hat on. But here's the tip. I'm, I am a journalist. I've just got my – I've got a degree in journalism. So I, I know what needs to be done. I don't need to guess. I get it now, what needs to be done. But a lot of people I think who start podcasts are fans, which I think you need to be, by the way. Yeah. But they don't understand you have to graduate from fan and then take – remove yourself from the fan from – like when you're talking to Nick or Stuart or what have you, you have to remove the fan and you have to say, right, I'm just a person trying to get information now that's why i appreciate what you say that it doesn't sound rude because that would devastate me if it sounded rude because that's the last thing i ever want to try to be with somebody is rude or toxic because there's too much of that out there there's too like i i can't stand banger tv just about any of the big podcasts i'm not a huge fan of metal injection either either by the way I, i love the fact that they're giving you guys coverage but i think it's sensationalized i can't help that a lot of my episodes do. You've probably seen it. They get picked up by Blabbermouth. The yeah. last one, the last one was with, with. I think, I think Epica are from Denmark, aren't they? God, I could be wrong, but were they from Holland? Uh, Epica? Yeah. They're, they're not Danish, no, no. No, they're from Holland. Anyway, Mark Jensen, mm-hmm. when I interviewed him, he spoke about Dave Mustaine. Now, I've met Dave Mustaine, and he wasn't that pleasant either, but Mark had some classic stories about that. Now... He did want some stuff some politics that we talked about to be taken out so i did that because i'll always give give people the option at the end of an an episode if we've talked about topics that i think i don't find things sensitive we can literally talk about almost anything with me god knows i've done it but i'm the nobody i'm just the podcaster these people are the musicians and maybe them having some of these opinions out there they get a bit nervous about that but he said some stuff about dave mustaine and of course that got picked up by blabbermouth it's all just clickbait but People are so focused on reading the clickbait, I don't even blame the blabbermouth and the middle injections that much if people are clicking on it. It's just content. The way to make that stuff go away is people have got to focus exactly what you've done, mate, long-form wow. conversations. They've got to dive in and be curious and actually listen to the whole thing. Otherwise, if you're just getting a tiny snippet courtesy of, of clickbait, it's bullshit. It's just gossip. It's no different to one of those women's mags. That have the British Royal Family in it constantly, or or, or your your princess who's from Tasmania, um, Mary Donaldson, in it yeah. and her her kids, and those stupid mm. magazines that keep on focusing on the gossip. That's all blabbermouth and and metal injection are. But I I don't blame a lot of people. Don't like Borivoj Kran. He's the metal maniacs writer that owns or, or set up blabbermouth. I don't. Even though, yeah. even though I've cringed at some of the stuff from the podcast that's gone on there, people have just got to stop clicking on it. There's another side to it though, which is that it is promotion for bands too, and that somebody might read about this comment that Mark Jensen made about about Dave Mustaine being the face of Megadeth. Because it's quite, if you listen to that episode, it's hilarious what he says about Dave. By the way, I was I was laughing quite a bit uh, during that one there. But now people might get into Epica from reading the Blabbermouth article. So I see the yin and the yang to it is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Like Gene Simmons says, there's no such thing as bad publicity.
0: Um, well, that's good old Gene but, Simmons. I, I, he's another fellow I yeah. admire, by the way. Yeah, I don't think much of their music, but I, lo- I think he's a tremendous uh, marketer and promoter of what he does.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm a big Kiss fan, so... Uh, I have so much respect. I know he's kind of a silly person and uh, he has his moments of um, cringe, um, especially when uh, when he does some of those really awkward interviews where he's... I, I, yeah, I can't even come on one, but uh, <laughs> I can't even think of one right now, but um, he's... Yeah, I, I, I'm really good at separating the artists, you know, I can listen to Bursum without you know thinking about him being a murderer um, and the same thing I guess with Dean Simmons but I do respect him as a as a as the guy he is I also read his book which is really interesting
0: yeah I agree yeah I agree and mm-hmm. the Bursum one is is interesting because I interviewed interviewed a fellow who's in a bank called zealador Z- I think is that the name a Swiss they're from Oh, it's not going to make any sense now because I can't remember the name of the band and the name of the fellow. But anyway, this guy, is a, he's a black guy, but he's half <laughs> African-American, half Swiss. And uh, Zeal and Adore, I think the band was, band name is, I should say, but they're mixing like gospel music and black metal. And he told me yeah. one of his favourite favorite bands is Burzum. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that great? He can separate Varg from the music and the music yeah the music is fantastic i've got to say it's uh i know i used to love it back in the day it just hasn't i've got to say it hasn't stayed with me because i love the new wave of british heavy metal style guitar so so that's why cradle was so important and i, and I do love emperor too if you've listened to the interviews that i've done with uh, ishan who's just fantastic by the way ishan i know and i know that they're not new wave of british heavy metal but i like a dominant guitar sound which Burzum don't have it's more of a more of a means to an end to create an atmosphere
1: yeah, definitely. It's a, uh, I mean, you got to be in the mood to listen to Bosom. Great. You can't, Great. Uh, it's, it's not easy listening uh, music. You, ha- you really have to. But when, when you really are into it, you're really into it. But I don't agree with anything he, he says about, um, you know, basically all his racism and his, you know, views about killing somebody, where he was like, well, he basically deserved it because he was an idiot or something. Um, but I can definitely separate it. I can just say that's your opinion. Um, your music's fantastic, but uh, yeah, I don't agree with you on anything basically.
0: Yeah, I, I Besides not, great music. Yeah, great music. He, he, I think he's one of those QAnon conspiracies these days, isn't he? He, he gets right into that stuff. I've I followed some of the stuff that he's done. Like, Not say follow, I've watched a few of the videos. They just seem like the ramblings of a guy who's got way too much time on his hands. The racism shit is just dumb. And you can you can always just ignore that stupid shit. He gets enough. What what I can't stand, though, and I've got to make this point, is the way that so-called white people hammer so-called people of colour for wearing Burson T-shirts. There are a whole, mm. uh, like, uh, things in, what are those, Pitchfork, it might be, or... One of one of those hipster style sites, but they're pillaring Asians and Black people for wearing Burzum t-shirts. It's like, who fucking cares? What's it got to do with you? If this these individuals connect with the music, that's what it's about. Okay, they're not they're not walking around with swastikas or, or, or any of this other bullshit. Okay, if if they if. If Burzum is one of their favorite bands or a band that they like and they feel strongly enough to wear a T-shirt, it's not your job to educate them or otherwise. They've got access to the internet. They can do it themselves. They've got
1: free will. Definitely, and that's the way it should be. People are allowed to listen to – I mean, I wouldn't listen to Nazi punk, uh, even if I think they have a great guitar riff. uh, but Bursum is uh, is something else where it's mostly uh, stories. It's not really racist in his uh, lyrics, at least I, not the ones I've uh, I've known to. But I, I try to be as open-minded about just the music and separating everything else mm. from uh, and and that's that's the thing that, like you said, especially in a time like this. It's amazing to have podcast, music, YouTube um, to use as an escape. But man, if you had to use, uh, if you had to listen to everything and analyze everything, it would just, I mean, I would find something else to do. It it would just be too much.
0: Yeah, but this is the problem with society, the society that we live in these days, which is internet-based, meaning that someone innocently posts something and someone says, oh, so you support racism, do you, Or, or what have you? which is what happens to these, I say so-called people of colour because I just think that these labels that we apply to people is totally against what Martin Luther King and these great teachers before us have been talking about when they talk about a free and open society, an egalitarian viewpoint where we're all equal, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, use your mental facilities. I love different cultures. I love the differences between cultures. Talking to you from Denmark, me from Australia, My wife's family who live in the Philippines, I love going over there and hanging out and the food that we eat a whole lot. You don't want to have a flattening of cultures. And how that starts, as far as I'm concerned, is by pillaring these people that might not have such savoury perspectives and sometimes like Varg, confusing what they say later on because, I look, I don't know much about how he formed his views except for I know when I liked the band, I liked what he was doing. Back in the uh, mid mid nineties uh, and late nineties, I had no idea about any of this National Socialist shit. There wasn't the internet back then to research and find this stuff out. So I got into the music because I loved the music, and I'm absolutely confident that is the case for ninety nine point nine percent of people are getting to Burzum.
1: Yeah, I actually heard a, a rumor. I don't know if it's true, but um, uh, back in the nineties, before everybody uh, anybody knew that he didn't play live or stuff like that. Uh, we had this um, cultural um, building where youth meets up, and it, it's very, um, you know, what do you call it. Um, it's 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 a really um, the opposite views of Mark basically. Sure. Um, and they tried to actually book him to play a show um, without because they didn't know that he was a uh, you know, basically right-wing maniac. <laughs> uh, but so, so that's, that just speaks a lot to me that, you know, music is music. And I actually also think it was Paul Stanley who said that, you know, politics shouldn't affect what you listen to. He's right. It's yeah. It should be bigger than that.
0: Most of, a lot of the music that I love, like, uh, Carl Willett's from Bolt Thrower. Love Bolt Thrower. Love Memoriam. Uh, a yeah. lot of his views and uh, get, listen to those two. Listen to the, I've chatted to him four times, I think. And yeah, we would have we have different opinions, but I just I, I, it's not my job to tell him he can't have the opinion that he, he has. It's not my job to correct anybody. Have a listen to the Eddie Hermita from Suicide Silence one where he talks about Black Lives Matter with with great passion. Now, he said some things in there I don't agree with. It is not my job as an interviewer for what I'm doing with the podcast here to correct anybody and tell them, have you thought about this or what have you. You can express an idea no matter what it is. I mean, there are going to be some exceptions as if anybody would be stupid enough to go and do a podcast like mine and talk about supporting pedophiles or something like that. I do have a firm wall <laughs> up about some things. There are some things like that, that, of course. It's not just because I'm a parent. That's just something that's way out there and, uh, you know, and and domestic violence and all of that sort of shit. That stuff, which, that's the stuff that I, I, I've i kicked a guy out of a band for beating up his wife. I can't abide by any of that shit. But when it comes to political perspectives, we need to be able to talk about these things, and then if we talk about them on the people talk about them on the podcast, like what Eddie did with from Suicide Silence. Even if I don't agree agree with a lot of his points, there's a lot of points I don't agree with as well. Some of them I didn't think he was that he was he was that informed, but he had a strong opinion. That's okay too. This is the issue now: is that p- people think they have a gatekeeper role on the internet and in society to tell musicians what and how to think. And it's bullshit. Mm. And, and it's something that I will never do is if somebody can come on the show and espouse virtually any political opinion they want and I will not challenge it. It is not my job to do that. I'll express my own. And if we have a conversation about it, that is a beautiful thing as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, yeah. In, I, I thankfully uh, haven't, um, what do you call that? I, I haven't been in a band where Politics is uh issue, not because we can't agree on certain things, it's basically just because it's one of the things I basically decide in the bands I play in that it's not something you should discuss unless you know you know he's a pretty whatever kind of guy or something like that. Uh because it's not important we're together to make music. Um we're not a political band. Actually, Vincent, um mm. a lot of people uh on, I shouldn't say a lot of people, um, but some people can actually think that it's it could be kind of a, a nationalist list thing if you're using um, yeah the Roman emeralds, whatever you call it. Um, I know Tura has been claimed to be a racist band. Ture's is a Faroe Islands, an amazing proggy folk band. Mm. Um, which is definitely not a racist band in any ways. I actually uh, know the or old drummer, very well, um, and that actually hurt them a lot that they couldn't use things like that without being claimed of being a, a yeah a racist band or a Nazi band or anything. Yeah, well, which they, they really they, are.
0: They, they should never have stopped doing what they're doing, and they should never, if they apologise, that was wrong because if they're not yeah. racist, and if someone calls you a racist, you go after them. Because if they've got no evidence outside of hearsay and they're just wow. saying that you are with no evidence whatsoever, then you, you defend your turf. Anybody, any band out there, because that word is being thrown around like confetti at the moment. It is being used to divide. And we, in Australia, we are an incredibly multicultural country. I made the point, I think, with uh, Greg that a third of the people living in Australia these days weren't born here. They'd either hold oh. uh, citizenship or our permanent residents, this whole idea that we are moving toward racism and not away from it is a lie. It is a lie. That is, there is, the proof is in the putting My own, I'm the only, using their parlance because they like to divide people into colours, I'm the only white person in my household because my wife's mm. dark, man. My wife is yeah. <laughs> My daughter is dark. I, I hate all of this <laughs> shit, dude, because, but we're all the same, we're the same blood. So how's that? How's that? It's a ridiculous way of looking at at people basing its intersectional politics, its identity politics, it just seeks to divide and conquer. It does not uplift people. None of this stuff will. Otherwise, when Obama got into power, they'd gone close to ending racism in the United States. But instead, discussion about it seemed to accelerate and bans, bans, you know, because we're talking about the music, I try to keep it as music-focused on the podcast as I can, and then for it to extend into the to the realm of music is just is just ludicrous. And as I say, there's just no evidence. You you can't. There's no evidence for the increase of racism. You can't use the worst amongst us all, like the police officer involved in the Floyd Rose death, as the example of the rest of us. It doesn't work right. that way. OK, it, it, you can't do that. If you do that, you get what we've seen, which is riots, looting, all of these issues that we've seen all, all, all across the world in the last or the US specifically. But the world has had all of these uh, the, these Black Lives Matter protests. So be it. Fair enough. OK, but we've had it's a got few a- of them in Denmark. I've seen I've I actually yeah. I did see that there and we had we didn't have I think we had one here in Brisbane and there was there was a few I think in Melbourne but uh, it's it's got it's got to be rational we, we've got an issue here in Australia at the moment where where there is extreme abuse and the sort of happening to kids in remote communities which are Aboriginal communities It's an incendiary right. topic here in this country that people don't feel that they can talk about. And uh, there are some great people out there like Warren Mundine and Jacinda Price that are doing God's work as far as I'm concerned on that front and raising awareness of the real issues that are happening. They're not talking about somebody who identifies as black being ignored in the shop or what have you. They're talking about real instances of disadvantage and of, of, of the kind of abuse that is difficult for me to even talk about happening to children in some of these communities. And, uh, but people want to focus on this this one. I call it the social media version of things. They're not focusing on the real life version of of things at the moment, and it's uh, it's uh, it's something that that people are, are, are they're hamstrung about having an opinion over and talking about. They don't know where to go with it because they don't want to be called racist. But I say it now, and I'll say it to anybody listening: that if you get called a racist by one of these woke warriors who have no fucking idea about anything then you defend your turf. Do not back down and go after them, okay? Because if they try to cancel you or do whatever, then you defend what you've got because too many people are folding at the moment and it's it's not right and it's sending the wrong message. And you know what it is, mate? It is totalitarianism, like what I spoke yeah. about with Greg, the rise of this, this woke totalitarianism, and it's not going to end well unless we, we stop it and unless we're not afraid to talk about things which are difficult to talk about. Definitely. Couldn't agree more with you. You know, so let's bring it back to the music because here's a question for you. Yeah. You talked about the complexity in terms of bringing all these people together. And we spoke up top about the impact of uh, COVID on the fact that you can't gather in groups of more than five outside of a family. So how on earth did you write such a complex EP together? Did you do it through through Google and through Google Drive and all that sort of stuff. How did you compose the material? Um,
1: the f- the way we did it was um, the first song we did, which was again Valborg's Night, was done mainly by uh, the guitar player, one of the guitar players, Gustav, and uh, he basically wrote out an I- uh, an idea, and we kind of arranged it together and we had kind of problems before we got the new guitar player uh, who's called Tor. We um, we had a couple of guitar players, one of them had to quit due to, um, he, he had to be a parent and the other one um, it just didn't work out but he wrote a lot of music so we actually had a, a lot of music um, written and practicing but uh, then he decided he didn't want to do it anymore so Mm. he uh, he split with all his I think it was like six songs or something and we were kind of being you know we only had this one song we've written basically you know an idea but arranged together so the way we actually started practicing was basically a way I'm not used to because I've played with I don't know maybe 40 bands Mm -hmm. Um, through my career Uh, some of the sessions and of course my own projects where basically maybe one guy writes it sends it out to everybody else and says learn it and maybe we don't even meet in the rehearsal room I just go to the studio record the drums and the song is done but here we just we couldn't do that much we could only meet a couple of us so we just met up and basically somebody maybe uh, gustav had some guitar pros of some riffs mm. and we just put them all together actually um the one song i guess the one you think about with a lot of bass uh, guess the boot um that whole long section where there's a lot of bass keyboards it's very it's very uh, uh, moody you know yes i know the it a very, yeah. yeah a lot of building uh, that was basically my idea I didn't nice. write it, but it was it was my idea it was like you know, I want this part. So I I arranged it without writing any of the guitar parts or writing the bass, but it was like okay, it should be eight, eight, eight. And every time this and this and this and this actually I based it on the seventh son of the seventh son by Maiden, you know, that nice. long. Part. Um yeah, so so that was basically the way that we put things together is somebody comes with maybe just a melody and then we just try it out and it can take sometimes just one rehearsal we have a very nice outline and sometimes we need to look at it a couple of times maybe do it in a uh, listen to rehearsal tapes um my girlfriend uh, who's the like i said the keyboard player and flute she would sit at home play something on the piano just say does this sound good And we would discuss it, maybe, you know, change the sound, put up the tempo. And so it's really the first time I've ever done it so old school that we doesn't that we doesn't have any guitar pro really before the song is done. Actually, everything else is rehearsal tapes. So it's it's actually like writing in in an old fashioned way, which is difficult due to the pandemic. But Every time they've had those, uh, where they open up and we can meet maybe more people. Actually, at the moment my rehearsal space is closed. It's it's can't use it, so I'm actually practicing at my um, uh, my mother-in-law. Um, she's really cool, so we can't even practice. But we have already started to discuss during the the next chapter of the band, which is hopefully going to be. A EP with one or two more songs um, this year and we just need to get together hopefully in maybe the middle of March or the start of April the rehearsal space will be open again
0: Okay and with regards to the live performances so on the email that Soren sent through there's a bunch of performances listed throughout the rest of the year you're still going to be able to rehearse for those shows, regardless if they happen or not, because you still have to be ready, right?
1: Yes. Uh, the way we rehearse is, uh, it's going to be... I um, uh, <laughs> have to figure out the word, but it's uh, kind of like, you know, being quick and just building a rehearsal space basically somewhere mm. or maybe borrowing from somebody which isn't closed. Um, so it's... it's I mean, we're all responsible adults, so uh, we know if we have to do a show, and especially because we're all, um, we all believe in, uh, in this band, and I, I've, I've been playing drums for 20 years. I've played, uh, I've, I've been professional uh, in about five of them, and besides that's just being, you know, doing, doing everything to being as professional as possible, so I wouldn't, and I know the other guys wouldn't play a show Unless we were ready, so we would we would fix it, but it wouldn't be our. You know, it wouldn't be just. Let's go to our rehearsal space. It would basically be okay. Can we borrow this rehearsal space? Can we practice here without annoying anybody? Mm. But um, hopefully, there will be shows this year. Um, we already have a great one in April. Um, I'm pretty sure Udgård's fest is gonna be removed to another date. Yeah. Um, because of the restrictions at the moment. But we have one in April that I'm really hoping for because it's sold out. It's with um, four, uh, three other bands, uh, Svartsort, which uh, I used to play in, and um, mm. it's here, Great Friends, and Vania, where I've been a live drummer for them a couple of times. So it's mm. just a great big friend show, and it's sold out, and uh, yeah, we're really hoping for it, but maybe it's just going to be moved. I don't know. It's it's really hard to tell, but we have something uh, set for the end of the year, which is definitely more secure to do, but uh, we, we need to get out there because people want music, we want to play, and the songs, uh, in our opinion, is just better life.
0: I agree. Metal is... The campfire, us extreme metal fans, the true bull pit is the live arena. Without it, we struggle to connect with the music. As wonderful as what it is that you've done here, you mm. won't fully realize your vision until you can stand up on stage and people can actually connect with you, have a beer in their hand, go out and have yeah. something nice to eat, catch up with you guys, watch the great and, and feel the music that you've got going on here. So I want I want to ask you, we've talked a lot about drumming before, but yes. for you and your approach to drumming and being in so many different bands, you obviously just don't do one thing that fits all it. That would be impossible. So how did you approach the arrangements and the, the type of drumming and your style? So the stylistic approach, how did you go about that with this group?
1: Um, the way I approached it as a drummer is the way I approach all kind of music is I actually want to play less. Um, and I think that's typical of drummers who've played so much through the years going back to Nick Barker um, the way I know it's uh, it's really progressive drumming he's doing but if you think about what the guy can do and the way he just wants the drums to reflect music instead of 10,000 uh, in fancy fills, that's, that's the way I look at it so I, I always look at it as like, how can I make the song better and not be too flashy? Because unless you play in a flashy band, uh, it, it wouldn't work. So I feel the song and, and like I said, we arrange it together. So it's pretty easy to kind of get the feeling of the music. You can still change parts, but it's pretty easy. It's like, okay, we're, we're going this way. So the drums have to basically be more straight ahead or maybe they have to be a little bit up-tempo. Maybe they have to uh, go more insane in this part, which mm-hmm. we really don't have in advance, and We, I mean, I try to, to keep it as, as steady as possible, but when I play live, I like to, um, what do you call it? Like spice it up a bit sometimes, yeah, you know, feel add some the, salt and the pepper. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah feel the groove of the audience, feel the groove of the band. Um, I enjoy drummers who do the exact same thing every night. And if I'm playing with bands where I need to do that, I do it. But I also really like the feeling of, you know, it really needs to get pushed. I mean, we play with a click when when we play, uh, not because we want to be as tight as possible, but it's um, it's actually because when we're seven people on stage to make sure that you know everybody is locked in, it's better to to be sure that the tempo is exactly the same, but still with uh, open space. So if Morton, the bass player, decides to do something, it, it wouldn't fuck up the rest of us.
0: Yeah. With uh, with artillery, were you in line to come down to Australia when they came down at the beginning of
1: two thousand and twenty? No, uh, I was just doing the fill in year uh, with two other drummers. Uh-huh. Um, due to um, one of my close friends is uh, Josh, and uh, he had some some things he had to take care of uh, with work, and uh, he has family in in the US. Uh, so they basically just called me up uh, and asked me if I could do a festival in Germany, a quick fill-in, and uh, I basically just learned the set, met up with them once. I mean, Artillery is a big band, so I know a lot of their songs and uh, mm. by heart. <coughs> and um, I've uh, I've played with them at festivals and casting the original drummer. Me and him are really good friends, and uh, so. I just flew to the festival, and uh, I think maybe two weeks later, they called me and said, can I do some shows here? Can I do some shows there? And I actually ended up doing a whole European tour with them with seven days' notice. Um, so it, it's, it was a really crazy year, but the whole plan of the the, the cycle I did with them and uh, Anna Skrider, the, the other drummer who helped them, was that we are just being there until Josh is ready. And he is ready and he did the whole Australian tour. And as I just talked with uh, with him, uh, I can't remember when right now, but he told me that Australia was absolutely insane. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like it was a big crowds. It was, I mean, it was big crowds, but it wasn't like a festival crowds. It was maybe like uh, two three hundred people and they were just waiting for artillery. so it's'm I'm, I'm pretty sad that I didn't get to do those, but uh, hopefully someday I you know I will go to Australia maybe not as a as a going to play there, but just going there as a visitor.
0: Yeah, either way, you'd be welcome of course because the thing about the extreme metal bands and the thrash bands though I can, I can only talk about Brisbane there's the same cohort of 200 people that go to the, each, every gig. We're there at yeah. most of the gigs. Whether it's corrosion of conformity or destruction, you see the same faces and you become, you don't know people, you just see their faces and you sort of have a bit of a chat here and there And because the state of Queensland, which is, the state of Queensland is probably about the size of half of Europe, I'd say maybe even more. <laughs> so You get people travelling from all over Queensland down to some of these shows in Brisbane. When they occur, so there's there's a genuine brotherhood and sisterhood that goes on with heavy metal here. Uh, It does, unfortunately, and I've got to say this, and I made this point with uh, Robin uh, from uh, Robin Ferguson from South Africa. A lot, a lot of the the some of that camaraderie doesn't extend to the bands, and that's that's been my experience. It's one of the key reasons I don't play metal bands in Australia. It's it's uh, I I don't know what the hell it is, but it's very uh, competitive and i think it's competitive because it's such a small market other bands great that's why i play in the pop and the disco bands and the like because it's easy i can just turn up and play and talk about the football scores in my in my break but i yeah. think i think a lot of the a lot of the metal bands are competing for tiny almost non-existent market share and it can become a little bit cannibalistic i've even had some shit talked about me not a lot but i see it on social media and it's not even Hurtful stuff that they're saying. But my view has always been you've got to lift the scene up. We're all we're we're trying to help. Don't talk shit about people. Don't be sarcastic unnecessarily. Support. If you if you've got something negative to say or what have you, when you feel strongly about it, send a direct message to somebody, but frame it in a way that is going to be meaningful and that they can use. Because yeah. there's an old saying, I'll only ever take criticism from someone who from whom I'd take advice or seek advice. And I think, that, I think most people are, are in that boat. So, But, yes, uh, just to round out the point, artillery, I didn't get to go to the shows because my death knell, you see, when I spoke to Michael Stutzer, I said, uh, I'll go to the show, which is a death knell, stra- death knell straight away for me not to go to the show. Very hard to get out with kids and career and studies, yeah. those sorts of things. And uh, the bands that I tend to make an absolute point of going and seeing are bands that I've been a lifelong fan of, like Corrosion and Conformity. I wouldn't have missed that one for, for the world. And I get to catch up with those guys in the flesh, which is very different to, to doing this. And I've got to say, everybody that I've ever met, man, from these these great big touring bands, like Corrosion, big for our neck of the woods, big yeah. for extreme metal and hard rock, they're all so cool, man. It's like you say with Nick and the people that you've met, you've no doubt met a lot of the same people that I've spoken to or, or, or pressed the flesh with, man. Everybody's just so cool. And it's such a joy to be part of that. Mm.
1: It is. Um, I've, I mean, I've met so many of uh, my heroes, not and uh, not just because it was, um, you know, under the right circumstances. I know they're genuinely really nice people. Yeah. And they've been through the game. Um, my uh, old blackmail band, we got to support Mayhem in, uh, I think it was 2014. Uh, on the 30-year anniversary tour, which was a big deal, um, and we met up with them. And I still talk to Hellhammer, the drummer. Uh, we call each other sometimes, and I mean, I've been listening to that guy. I've seen him in, you know, documentaries. Uh, it's it's surreal sometimes to actually can write him and say, you know, Merry Christmas, you know, at Christmas time, <laughs> or Happy New Year. Yeah. And, and he replies and is like, How are you doing? I hope everything is well and see you soon. And every time they play in Denmark, he always invites me to the shows. We hang out, drink, talk about music. And, and th- that kind of inspires me. And in, not because I'm famous in, in any way, I, uh, I'm famous as a drummer, uh, you know, in the scene, like a guy you can mm-hmm. use, but not as a, a popular person in any way. But if ever that should happen, it's it's so inspiring to see people like him where everybody knows him. And he's a genuinely, actually, all the guys in Mayhem were really nice. And didn't actually, when we were playing, they stood by the side, checked out a couple of songs. Um, We also played with Dark Funeral, uh, the old drummer Nils, who isn't in the band anymore. Who, he mostly plays... Uh, with thirteen forty nine every time Frost can play. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he plays in uh, my old band shirts, and you know, they're really supportive, so so they're really inspiring. But thank God, I I mean, in Denmark, of course, there's competition between the bands, and there's probably also some animosity between each other. But it's not like that they can't meet up at a festival. They maybe just don't talk to each other. And maybe they, they can say something, you know, in the sideline. But thank God, we it's such a small country that it, it would be stupid to actually be, you know, hating on people or getting getting them to not play shows. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's like any other thing. That it's it's okay that there's some competition, just as long as it doesn't go like you've had it, like people are writing about you on public forums or. You know, canceling people's gigs because they don't wanna, you know, Mm. your band to get some success. Uh, Thank God, I haven't seen any of that. Um, And I've I've really, I've, I've I've been uh, in a problem like everybody where I was young and I could get jealous of of some bands, you know, getting more success than my band or uh, somebody getting more attention. uh, That, I mean, when you're young, it, it hurts because you're kind of finding out who are you and Maybe you started a band when you were really, really young and you got success really quick. And then all of a sudden, this new band comes along one year later and all the attention you had went straight over to them and you get jealous. And you have to learn to accept that that's just the way it is. It's, it, you can't always be the hot new thing. But instead of being pissed off or you know talking, I guess, shit about them, embrace it. You know, embrace what's happening. Embrace that maybe these guys are making some amazing music. Um, and, and I tried to do that a lot because I had a period where I was really bad at listening to new artists because I was really into old school stuff. But then I just decided someday, for instance, Parkway Drive was something I, I, I wasn't really, you know, that aware of. I knew people loved them, but I didn't know what they were about. And I just started listening to them, my man. They're an amazing band. Suicidal Silence, but it's some some bands from Denmark. They're doing really well at the moment. Um, actually, one of my favorites, uh, check them out. It's called Mül. Um How do you spell that? It's uh, it's a O with like that uh, thing oh, between yeah, it.
0: They're, they're Nuclear Blast. They're on Nuclear Blast. Yeah, I've they just signed Nuclear yeah. Blast. i got the email. Great, them,
1: yeah fucking amazing band and uh, some of the nicest people i've ever met um and they're gonna go you know get really big we also have this other band called based which is the first um first danish metal band as far as i know which is extreme metal that's gone mainstream yep uh, in in denmark i mean they're TV shows they play in a good like they have Good Morning America. We have something like that in Denmark. They've played that. They play in um uh award shows. They're selling out big venues and they're like 20 years old, 25 years old, maybe. Uh, which you know, they played Copenhagen in front of I think 20,000. Uh, they're, they're really making it. I don't know how it's, I know they um, <coughs> sorry. I know they're playing outside of Denmark a lot and there's even been a documentary on the big main channel in Denmark, following them around on that tour. So like I said, embrace it instead of just being, you know, goddamn, why are you getting all the attention? I mean, it's a great band. I know why people like them.
0: One of my favorite bands ever, I've got to say, is from Denmark and hardly anybody knows of them, Black Income, like a rock and grunge band.
1: Black Income. Isn't that a band who won uh, the Danish Rock Award I something? They, they might
0: have. Henrik Thrain is one of the best songwriters I've ever heard in my life. He's a good bloke too, I've got to say. And that, that album, Unsound, is because oh, I'm from the 90s, so I've still got my roots. Uh, before I got into black and death metal, I suppose, I was into – well, it all happened at the same time, but I've got a soft spot for stuff like Stone Temple Pilots and Weezer and bands like that. Some some of them are are very important bands, and i played a lot of their music, especially Stone Temple Pilots, and Black Income seem like they've managed to distill the essence of Stone Temple, Weezer, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden into one band, but all of the best bits, not the boring bits or the bits that you could do without. And I don't know how he's done it, Henrik has done it, but he's he's just a brilliant songwriter, and uh, I love listening to his stuff. But, of course... uh, Hardly anybody, certainly nobody in Australia. Uh, well, there, I, it was give, He gave me feedback that a lot of the positive vibes that he got, positive messages, were from Australia. But it, it just doesn't reach critical mass to a point where it can sort of get over the hill and it sort of builds its own momentum and 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 launches a career for him, which which I it's, truly wish would happen.
1: You know, it's uh, it's not often that a Danish band uh, actually breaks Australia in any way. Uh, one band we had, which was a pop rock band called Kick the Kangaroo. Um, oh, I remember. Yeah, they toured here. <laughs> yeah, they were really big. Uh, Got to say, maybe besides Volbeat and of course, Merciful Fate and stuff like that. But yeah, as, as uh, artists, it's, it's ah, okay, Lucas Graham. He's also pretty big there as far as I know. Um, but, but they did really well in uh, Australia, and it was, uh, as far as I know, the A market with, uh,
0: you know, getting sounded, picked up in
1: limited regions.
0: Yeah, I remember he sounded like Jimmy Barnes. Have you heard of Jimmy Barnes at all? He was a singer of Cold Chisel and uh, pretty much an Australian rock icon. And, uh, yeah, i don't he, think I have no. They, they talked about being influenced. I remember the interview, an interview with them where they talked about being influenced by his Heat album, and I could hear that and mm. to give you an idea, outside of Australia, a lot of people aren't familiar with what's called Oz Rock because we have a lot of pubs in Australia and through the 70s and 80s, that's where band earned their stripes. They had to perform live. It had beer thrown at them and you had to survive that. That was the scene. That was the circuit they had to go through. Mm. So it developed this, this ACDC spearheaded it. But then you had Cold Chisel, The Angels, Midnight Oil, uh, Eurogliders, some some of them, more pop bands like them, but Kick the Kangaroo sounded like an Australian band. That's what it was. That's that's the interesting mm. thing. That's uh, I remember listening to them and thinking, shit, they could come from the inner suburbs of Sydney.
1: Yeah, they were a great band. Uh, I actually did an album with a um, keyboard player who is uh, a famous uh, producer in Denmark. Mm. Does uh, basically that's uh, and he does musicals too. <laughs> um, and the, that's actually where I got. I mean, I've when I went to uh, boarding school, I guess it's called. Um, I heard about them, but it, it wasn't like a big thing in Denmark. But when I actually met him and we talked about it, he told me that Australia, that was just the best place. And uh, he still, you know, every time he thinks back on, on the band, it's like, wow, we we were so big, and you know, we played TV shows in Australia, and yeah. It was, awesome. it was amazing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Hey, just something you said earlier. You you mentioned that you played with somebody in Marduk. Who was that that you played with or performed
1: with? Oh, I did um, Divo, the bass player, the old bass player.
0: So it wasn't B-War or – well, I can't remember what his real name is, but his stage name was B-War.
1: No, his uh, his real name is uh, – uh, fuck. <laughs> i
0: was uh, say yeah, I, I can't uh, pronounce it to be honest. I was still looking out online before, so I had it up, but it's gone. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember that bass player in in Marduk that the one that used the pseudonym B wall Holy shit, he was so fast with his fingers too. I remember yeah. I, all, actually, all of the bass players in Marduk have to be great. Have to be probably probably the best black metal bass players around. I reckon he's actually a guitar player, so uh-huh. uh,
1: so that's why he's pretty fast at his uh, picking style. But uh, yeah, he, he stopped in Marduk in 2019. Um, he's focusing on his studio uh, and uh, is, as far as I know, still doing pretty well due to the corona pandemic because in Sweden, they started to open up a lot more.
0: Yeah. They never locked down, apparently. They might have done some surgical lockdowns, but I don't think society was locked down. And they've been the model for the rest of the world uh, in terms of how you can yeah. defeat this thing. I know, I know there's anomalies like in Italy and parts of Asia. Most of Asia, where yeah. people live on top of each other, I get that. But Sweden is a bit like Denmark, which is similar to Australia in that way, in that we live in houses and we're not living multi-generationally. So they could mm-hmm. they could do that, which is which is why I think there's still so much great music coming out of uh, Sweden. The new Soil work was fantastic, actually. The one, yeah, work, the sorry. drummer
1: is Danish uh, Bastian. Oh, is that he, right? Uh, yeah, he he joined the band when. Uh, uh, I think it was his name, Derek. Uh, he uh, he jumped to um, Megadeth, Megadeth, and yeah. uh, he was yeah he was a student of him, and he recommended them to use him. So uh, he's now a permanent member, and gotta say one of the best Saltwork albums, in my opinion.
0: It's pretty good, although although I've got to say Dirk, who I've spoken to, should listen to that episode. Dirk is just a great. Uh, Dirk, guy. yeah. Uh, yeah, I've
1: actually met him once, super, super cool guy. When he played with Soilwork in
0: 2013, I think, really, really nice person. Yeah, I actually said to him that I thought him being in Megadeth gave that band a lot of credibility again because I thought it was slipping Definitely. there for a long time with Megadeth. And to for Dave Mustaine to bring in an extreme metal drummer, one of the best in the biz, that was a hell of a thing to, to be able to secure that. But then I learned that Dirk lives in Los Angeles these days. So that that is perfect for that gig. That, see, that's what should happen with Metallica. A, a drummer like that should step into the band and do for Megadeth, Metallica what Dirk has now done and what well Chris Adler, of course, to I still consider Chris an extreme metal drummer, even if they're more of a thrash band sort of a thing. But uh, you, you can hear that, that step up in the intensity. And as people get older, they need that fresh new blood to come in in order to make the music relevant again, which I think Dirk's done a great job. Live, I know he didn't appear on the album, but the live performances that I've seen online, Megadeth have possibly never sounded
1: better. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I uh, can't wait. I think it's in a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, they're gonna release some new stuff with him, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, he mentioned that actually, and
0: uh, he mentioned something too, which is that he was writing some stuff on guitar that was being, I think his words <coughs> at the time were considered to be included in some of the Megadeth material. That'd be a hell of a coup if you could get some of that stuff stuff on the uh, on the Megadeth album.
1: Yeah, I hope so, man.
0: I really hope so. I better wrap things up, but before I do, can you tell people listening your social media pages, how they can reach out to you? You're obviously on Facebook, but are you on Bandcamp? And and the big one, Physical Copy, because I want to make sure people know how they can support you guys and put the money into your back pocket for all the great work you've done here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to be physical at this moment. Uh, It's We're Thinking about maybe just keeping it digital, uh, digitally until we get an uh, EP more or something else yeah. so we can put it all together. So it's a more complete thing. Um, the way you support the band is by just liking the Facebook page. Maybe um, uh, going to Bandcamp and getting a t-shirt. Uh, you can write us if you have any questions about anything like how to ship it. Uh, I mean, we're we're gonna do it. It's not about, like you said, making money. It's about, you know, getting the band as far as we can go. So we, if people want shirts, no matter where in the world, I mean, we will ship it uh, as cheaply as possible. And and yeah, hopefully we can start playing. The big goal is to uh, we're already in contact with a lot of uh, possible gigs. And uh, hopefully one in Germany uh, this year. Nice. If, if, we can, if we can go to Germany, it's, it's, it's a great market there.
0: Um, Biggest for, metal market around, man, that one there.
1: Definitely the best metal market in the world, yeah. Um, I've, or at least for touring bands, it's, it's got to be a great market, um, for, at least uh, for Europe and America. When they go there, I mean, they, you can play probably 100 shows in Germany uh, it's it's such a great place. And yeah, the dream is, uh, not the dream, but uh, the hopes for 2022 is, is to actually get some proper festivals with not just, you know, sitting attendants or... Yeah, I can't
0: stand them. Yeah. 20,
1: yeah.
0: I wouldn't go to one. So that's about it. Killer, mate. Yeah, look, fantastic chat. I, I, I just, on a personal note, the very kind things that you said about what I'm doing here in the podcast. That means a lot, by the way, because I don't get a lot of feedback to be honest with you. I sort of just do it and whatever happens, happens. But uh to to have uh, made an impression on you over there in Denmark, mate, I'm I'm humbled and and thank you so
1: much for what you said. And Oh and man, the big thanks for coming from me to you too.
0: I enjoyed the chat, dude. It's it's no different talking to you than it has been to talking to anybody that's been in a fantastic in you know, in one of these touring bands. So I've got to give you that feedback, and that's important, man. Because I've done some interviews with, uh, I mean, you're doing it, man. I mean, you've played in Artillery. You 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 know people. You're more connected than what I am from the sounds of things. Um, you're you're one you're one of the you're you're in the scene. You're already doing it. So sometimes I've done interviews with people who are sort of local musicians or what have you. They don't know how to talk like you have. Which is, mm-hmm. which is which is which is always interesting for me in that people from Europe have a better command of the English language than people who are native English speakers. That's that's the truth, you know that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's become so I mean, just from watching videos to YouTube to everything is in English. So you get really I mean, I can still forget the words uh like i i want to say it's in a danish uh, kind of like sentence which doesn't make sense when i translate it yeah so but uh thank you man it's been an honor talking to you and i really mean it i can't wait to hear it and please 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 keep doing it and in my opinion it it, it helps me in in this kind of weird time to have somebody to listen to and and you know, hear all these amazing stories, not just about you know, Cradle of filth, but everybody. Thank there's you just man. So, many so much. Episodes yeah. I haven't heard yet, so uh, that's that's why I can't, I, I haven't heard them all yet. Uh, I think I've heard about yeah, maybe 20 30 of them.
0: Keep on going uh, into it. There's there's five, you'll be number 539. I'm just looking now,
1: yeah. Oh, posted. So I have a long way to go.
0: There's, there's a heap up there. Yeah, have a listen. All of the Morbid Angel ones are great. Uh, the Emperor ones, all of the black metal ones, Eric Daniels from, from Watain, he was a great guy. They're all, all of those guys. All of the guys that are in serious touring bands, like, you know, well-known international bands, every single one of them has been fantastic. So, and as, as you know, if you, you've picked up, man, I try to ask the questions that other people won't, so hopefully there's some new insight there. But but otherwise, man, thanks so much, thanks so much for going there and for allowing us to have a proper conversation. I appreciate it, brother.
1: Thank you, too.
0: Have a nice uh, day, I guess. No worries. You too, mate. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Bye. Thanks, mate. Catch ya. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series, which syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject is Danish drummer Danny Jelsgaard from the group Vansind and a bunch of others. Thanks so much for tuning in.